All right. Good morning, Penitent AG Church. Uh, my name is Elias, and our scripture reading for today is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. So uh, it says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we are into today our sixth week of our study of Hebrews. We are into Hebrews chapter 8. And as Elias read, what we see in the passage is Jesus still talking about the priesthood. The author of Hebrews runs in several themes. Uh, first theme of how much better Jesus is than any of the ancient ways, whether it's angels or Abraham or Moses. Then we move into a theme of the priesthood and that Jesus is our great high priest, a better system of priesthood and atonement. And then today in chapter 8, we need to see make a transition from priesthood into a new and better covenant. But he uses the language here of a shadow and a copy of a great system. It's nice here in the beginning of verse eight, chapter 8 that he says, this is the point. Sometimes when you're reading scripture, how many times do you long for the author to tell you what's the point? He says, this is the point right here. The point is we have a greater, better high priest. A priest not of earth, but a priest in heaven. He's not here making atonement to the Father. He is at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you and I, making atonement, believing in us, crying out to the Father for you and I. Someone who can help us with our sin and brokenness, who understands the weakness of humanity and yet has never fallen to the temptation of sin and brokenness. And so he can say, I understand, and yet also I have the strength to pull you up. Someone speaking on our behalf to God, not just in a lifetime, but to speak to God for all eternity. But in this summary sentence, he's transitioning. We see it moving. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest whose throne is in heaven it's also a conclusion and a transition now into the priestly covenants. In chapter 8, he spends a long time focusing on a shadow or a copy of the real thing. In 2020, during Christmas break, my brother-in-law and I were pretty bored. So we searched through his Switch catalog of what games we could download. We downloaded MLB 2020. 
We have now, for the last two years, still been playing in the MLB of 2020. It was the cheapest game. It was like $12 on sale, and we played that version of baseball. We have spent hours playing it on different vacations and periods together. Yet, I still can't lay off of any pitches that are clearly in the dirt, and he still cannot turn a double play. We've done it for years, still can't do it. It's a little tiny cheapo game. The players now aren't really the players on those teams anymore, but we keep it going. And if that's all I had to know baseball, it'd be a decent understanding of baseball. They're playing on the field, some pitch, some hit, that's how it works. I can kind of see the game, even though I still can't lay off of a dirt ball pitch. But last night I got to go to a playoff game in Philly Stadium. Can I get an amen from some of you out there? Yeah, beautiful game. Four home runs, 10 runs. The lead changed twice throughout the game. It was rocking. I stood the whole time, kept praying that my voice would still be present for this morning. And I will tell you, being present in the stadium for a playoff baseball game is a different experience than playing MLB 2020 in my basement on a video game. If I only knew baseball from the game, I'd have a shadow understanding. It's a copy of a copy of a copy understanding. But to be there in person, to experience it in person, that this rando that I've never met before on my left has become my best friend for the last three hours, and we're hugging each other, and we're high-fiving each other, and we're discussing the game. There are these two college kids in front of us that somehow became the leaders of our entire section and are telling me, you got to stand up. And I'm like, yes, sir, standing up, waving my towel. This community together, and even though we were in like the highest seats possible of the stadium, they also feel that everybody in our seats knew the strike zone better than any of the umpires, Right? If you've ever been to a game, they just somehow get it in the worst possible seat to determine it. We know that he's wrong every time. That electric feel of being there, of present, of experiencing it. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is, in the Old Testament, every system they had, the tabernacle, the the temple, the priests, the law, these were merely copies of copies of the greater beauty of the relationship God wants for us. They are shadows of the true joy and beauty that our creator has intended us to live in. And how sad it is when we become satisfied with a copy of a copy. Good enough. What the author of Hebrews would say to us is, no, it is not good enough. There is better planned for you. As Plato may say, stop looking at the shadows on the wall of the cave. There is a greater light outside of it. That way I can give you both Greek philosophy and a baseball analogy in the beginning of this sermon. Let's go. Hebrews chapter 8. Looking back at what Elias has already read this morning. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 and then jumping to verse 6. Now the point in what we are saying is that we have a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The Israelites worshiped patterns of a truer reality. The Old Testament 
Moses led them down and they had a tabernacle that they built and they would move it in the desert while they were stranded for 40 years. And in the tabernacle was God's presence. Throughout the tabernacle was all this imagery, imagery of plants and trees and pomegranates and fruit and all of these natural things all decorating the tabernacle, all decorating the Ark of the Covenant in order to remind them that in this space you are challenging and being connected into a version of what we have lost in the Garden of Eden. This is a copy of the greater good that is to stand before your maker in his presence without shame. This is a reminder that God has made us to be with him in perfect communion and harmony. For the ancient Israelites, they had priests, and these priests were a shadow representation of the presence of God. A human being, because I'm too sinful to be in God's presence anymore, a human will make atonement for me. A human will communicate God's will to me, and they will serve as a copy of this conversation God wants to have with me. Moses brings them the law, the law as a copy, shadow version of the true understanding of the kingdom of God, of what God is really like, of what it means to live in his kingdom and under his lordship. They live and they worship under shadows and copies as the author of Hebrews tells us. God has given them MLB 20 on their switch and they're playing it and it's pretty good But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, go to a game. Get into it. Experience the true beauty of it. Don't stay in your basement watching a copy. We still serve these patterns and these copies. We have so many versions of it in the modern world of how we do this. We have shadow copies of actual human relationships that we call social media. And I have a thousand friends on social media. Have I met all of them in person? Nope. Have I met most of them in person? (laughs) Nope. Do we wish each other happy birthday and we kind of know each other? Yeah. Is it the same as actually spending a birthday party together? No, it is not. We have shadow copies of how we engage with our meals and our food, that I can go and get fast food in an absolute second, but I didn't make it with my hands and look at the ingredients and walk the process of sharing a meal and seeing it made and enjoyed together. Perhaps the saddest thing for us in a world where we know Jesus and we know the resurrection and have access to God's presence and power is that we still settle for copies of copies of a relationship with Jesus in the Christian church now. That I can every morning, I open up my daily bread and I read two verses and somebody else's thoughts about what those verses mean to them. And I do that every day and that's all that I do. And I'm living through a copy of someone else's copy of what Jesus means to them. I come on a Sunday morning and I listen to a pastor's explanation of a passage and that's great and we should do that and people are trained to do that but if all I ever do is engage with the text through a copy of someone else's interpretive lens, I'm missing the heart of Jesus. If I hear someone's testimony and I go, that's a great testimony of God moving and working in your life. He performed that miracle. He worked that. He transformed you. It meant that way. Wow, that is beautiful. But I myself am not hungry to have that experience with him myself. I'm not hungry at the end of service to press into an altar space, to ask someone to pray the presence of God over my life. We have a very real 
application of this over the last three years, where we moved from participation in the body of the church to watching church happen in our homes. And for many of us, we're still unlearning what we learned over the last three years. That church is not you watching me do the thing here or you watching the worship team do their thing here, but that church is participation in the body of Christ, participation in what God is moving and working and doing. Tiny plug here, we are running a membership class November 6th. If you've gone through growth track but you haven't formally committed into the membership of the church, this is a beautiful application of you saying, I'm a part of this. I am owning this mission of leading people to Jesus here in Pennington and in Hopewell and Mercer County. I am a part of this. I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to me. We are walking this journey together. November 6th, I'll be doing it after service. I will feed you and we will walk through the vision, the heart, and the theology of who we are as a church body. I would love for you to take that step of ownership into the vision and mission of what we're doing. What does it mean to then lean in to the better version, to not settle for the copy of it? Well, the author gives us this illustration, uses the language of covenants. This is a newer and better covenant, what Christ offers us. But for many of us now, we may not be as familiar with covenants, what they are, what that language looks like. In Hebrews 8.13, the author says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Why do we need a new covenant? What is a covenant? How does that even work? For those of us today, we are a little less familiar with covenants. I'll give it to you short, and then we're going to look at it in a little bit more depth. But a covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement between two parties. This is how I will treat you. This is how you will treat me. We will walk this journey together. I could teach it to you, but we're going to ask our good friends Tim and John from the Bible Project to give us a little more in-depth look of it. So let's invite Tim and John on the video. Teach us what are covenants. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. 
The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. A covenant as a promise between two parties, God making a covenant to his people. I want to give one clarity of that I think is helpful that they don't cover in the video. You may not be familiar with covenants. You may really not be familiar with the covenant with Noah. The covenant with Noah, we understand it whenever you talk about the story of Noah and the flood with the 
with the rainbow arcing over. And there's two parts to that covenant. The first part is God's promise not to ever destroy the earth again by a flood, which is scary because it feels like it leaves other options open. And then number two is that before it, he says, but human beings may not take the blood from another because you are made in my image. In that, God makes this covenant with all humanity that by the very nature of being a human being, we are entering into a covenant to value the life of each other. And so when you read the Old Testament and you read Israel coming into the land of Canaan and you see God's judgment on Egypt, judgment on Canaan, cut judgment on the Philistines, and you say, well, they didn't make a covenant agreement with God like Israel did. Why is God holding them? It is the covenant with Noah to value other human life and that these are kingdoms that now no longer valued human life, offered child sacrifice, destroyed and tortured other nations. And so Israel itself coming in as an act of judgment on their violation of that covenant. That's some pretty deep stuff, but I always think that idea is really cool. As we talk about these four covenants, it is not that they are thrown out. It is not that they are over. It is that they are fulfilled. They are fulfilled in the very person and presence and power of Christ Jesus. Jesus from the line of Abraham. Jesus perfectly holding up the law. Jesus, the king of the kingdom of David. Jesus, the perfect human in Noah. The old covenants of scripture were fulfilled in Jesus who offers us a new covenant that through him, God would forgive sin, renew hearts, and provide an intimate relationship between God and humanity. Or another way of saying it, the former covenants were a copy, a shadow copy of MLB 20, reminding us of the experience to come in Christ Jesus and inviting us to the beauty of what it means to be fully known and to fully know our creator through his perfect son, Christ Jesus. In this covenant, there is no fear in keeping up our end of the bargain because Jesus Christ keeps up both ends. There is no threat of punishment if the covenant is not kept because the punishment is given to Christ Jesus himself. There is no work that needs to be done to receive the new covenant of Christ Jesus. It is written on our hearts by his death and resurrection. What we do is accept it and believe. And in this, the author of Hebrews is teaching us the final work is that this covenant from the outside becomes a covenant from within. A large portion of Hebrews chapter 8 is the author quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. It's actually the longest quote in the entirety of the book of Hebrews, which is a book full of long quotes from the Old Testament. This is the longest one. Most of this chapter is actually Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. In it, we're reading Jeremiah expressing the grief of his people, the weight of their covenant, the consequences of breaking that covenant, and a longing for a new one. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Imagine ourselves back into the place of Jeremiah writing this heart's cry. Jeremiah is living through, and if you've ever read that long and intense, emotional, prophetic work from Jeremiah, what he's writing about is the lamentation of the covenant not being fulfilled because the humans couldn't keep up their end. And Jeremiah is writing, we just couldn't do it. We tried, but we're too broken. We're too sinful. We're too flawed. We couldn't handle it. I know because I've been for the last years walking around encouraging my brothers and sisters to keep up their end of the bargain, and they won't. Jeremiah is literally taken into imprisonment in Egypt even while he's still warning them. And he says, the pressure of the law was crushing us. We couldn't do it. There were 10 commandments and then those ballooned into hundreds as we tried to fulfill them and keep them and hold each other accountable. We just kept failing. We just kept compromising. And we see the consequences as our society has crumbled, as our walls have crumbled, as the enemy has come in and the hand of the Lord has been removed. So what's the solution? Jeremiah longs for, God, if you could, write a new covenant. One not written on tablets of stone, but one's written on the flesh of a human heart. If you could write a new covenant where it's not held to our human standard and ability to live it up, but that it could depend on your righteousness and your mercy and goodness. God, we are sinners and we are broken. If you could write a new covenant where the main promise is forgiveness and mercy. And God, we live in this covenant where we're never quite sure where you are and what you're doing. We're seeing you through a shadow. Could you write a covenant where we could know you fully and see you as a friend? The author of Hebrews quotes this passage and spends a long time on it because they say, this is what we have in Christ Jesus. The longing of the prophets standing in the shattered remains of broken covenants by human beings. What they longed for hundreds of years ago, what they died for is what we now have in the person and presence and power of Jesus Christ. We now have a covenant that doesn't require our human fulfillment because God has fulfilled it himself. 
We have a new covenant that doesn't require us to look at an external law because he's writing it into our hearts by his spirit and by his presence. And we have a new law, a new covenant that shows us that God can be known face to face. For he will forgive our iniquity and in Christ Jesus he will remember our sin no more. What's beautiful among all the beauty of the new covenant in Christ Jesus, the new promise of God's restoring power and presence is that we're only given one thing to do. Not ten, not hundreds. It's believe. As Paul later says, he uses the word pistis, this active belief that I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that I believe that Jesus is who he still remains to be, resurrected and empowered and sitting at the right hand of the Father, making perfect atonement, and that he offers us this new covenant relationship, this promise between two people, this promise between a Lord and his people, us. What he offers us is forgiveness. What he offers us is life to the fullest in this world and in the next for eternity. What he offers us is life eternal through the resurrection. And what he offers us is an uncopied relationship with our creator. The full experience of who God is through Christ Jesus. And what he asks of us is to believe we have it. And to believe he's here and speaking to us in this moment, 2,000 years later. As the psalmist says, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Allow me to close with this. The new covenant that we've practiced already this morning in Christ Jesus' body and blood. As Jesus tells us in Luke 22, verses 19 through 20, that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he takes the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant written on our hearts. A covenant where we will know God. A covenant where our iniquity is forgiven. And a covenant where he will remember our sin no more. If you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. If today you're here, a part of this service, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you haven't experienced that forgiveness and grace, you don't feel like you have a word written on your heart. But today in this moment, you want that. You wanna take that first step of knowing Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity today to pray that first prayer, that first step into this relationship he has given to you, to us. 
for those of you that may already be followers of Jesus, I'll give you this chance as a recommitment into this covenant that Christ Jesus has fulfilled all the other covenants and he offers you forgiveness, grace, and the loving presence of your creator. And in this moment, we commit that we believe that that is true and that we put our trust in him. If you'll pray this with me. Jesus, in this moment, I believe you are who you said you are. That we don't have to long as Jeremiah longed. We have it. As the pastor and author encouraged us in Hebrews, that we grasp hold of this covenant in you, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you came and you put on flesh and you lived fully God, fully man, and you lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements of the previous covenants. And that you then went to the cross, you took on my sin, my shame, my death. You died in our place. You were buried in the ground, and on the third day, you rose from that grave, conquering death and offering us life eternal. Jesus, you gave your life to us. This morning, we commit our life to you. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to invite us to take part in this covenant this morning. There are many ways that we practice what Paul calls pistis or, or active faith. That that is, is more than just belief. It's not an intellectual idea, but it is a lived out belief that I believe this is the way the world is. That I believe human beings have value and life because of our creator. That I believe in grace and mercy and forgiveness because God has given it to me in Christ Jesus. And that I believe in the way of love that Jesus lived in. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity as the worship team leads in one final song for us to pray out this commitment, pray out this covenant and this belief that we believe in what Christ is doing in our lives. And I'll leave open this altar space if you wanna come forward and just make a commitment this morning that I'm committing into this covenant, that Christ, you've given me all of this. Today, I am just giving you my belief. I am giving you my heart that I believe you are who you said you are. And let's respond this morning as the worship team prays. The altars are open. If you'll stand with me all over the room, if you can, and we're gonna take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to drive this in as we respond.